Welcome to Mind Rewind, a voyage through mental health journeys by those with the courage and desire to share their experiences with you. Through the insight and lived experience of others, you may find the tools and strategies that could benefit you and the strength to reach out for support. Listen and you'll hear messages of hope and that there is no obstacle that cannot be overcome when there is a willingness and bravery to tackle your challenges. Just a warning that some of the content of this story may be confronting for some listeners. If you or someone you know needs crisis support, speak with someone today. Please phone Lifeline on 13 11 14. Hi, my name is Jack Payne and you're listening to Mind Rewind. And my guest today is Zoe, who's in the studio with us. Hi, Zoe. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Nice to meet you. Zoe and I have had some communication backwards and forwards, but we've never actually set eyes on each other. So it's quite (laughs) nice to meet you today. Listen, let's start with where you're at now. I always think that's a really nice point to understand before we go back into history and, and what you've experienced. Where are you at with life? What do you do? What are your goals? Okay, that's a loaded question. I know. <laughs> Hit me. So I'm four years out of high school now and I'm doing psychology at Macquarie. I'm in my second year. I'm not 100% sure what I'm going to get out of psych, but I just know that I have to do something in mental health because of my experience with it and I have to help people that went through similar stuff to me because I have such a wide range of knowledge on how I got through it and I think that I could actually do some positive things for other people. As to what I want to do with my actual degree, I'm not sure. I've thought about social work, criminal psychology, sports psychology. Like there's a whole range. You might do it all. Who knows? I might do it all. I want to speak at schools. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff. But I think because I'm going to London in January for exchange for uni, I think that's a good time for me to meet new people and people in my degree in a different country and see what they want to do and see like what their future holds. And my dad always says to me, like, it's about who you know, not what you know. <laughs> it is. And I think yeah. you know, knowing people that live outside, I'm, I'm laughing inside because I know that you live on the beaches and I know the insular peninsula, you yeah. know, people <laughs> never leave. So I'm kind of excited for you that you're prepared yeah, to get on no. a plane and go to London. Yeah, everyone knows everyone in the Northern beaches. Absolutely. And it'll be yeah. so exciting to see people and how they exist, yeah. you know, in a way that you've not experienced before, which yeah. is, yeah. No, I'm keen you. to see so what they can Where are you studying when you're in London? The minimum subjects is like three, so it's kind of similar to a Macquarie full-time load, but I want to do the bare minimum so I can have the social aspect as well. Good balance. <laughs> so it's all about balance. So are, yeah. you, are you going over to study psych? Yeah. And how did that, I'm just curious about the arrangement, how did the transfer happen and how did you get yourself into it? Uh, Macquarie sends out a bunch of emails all the time and one of them was exchanged last semester and I saw it and then there's um, a lot of them have specific marks you have to meet and I wasn't sure that I was going to meet those marks because I'm kind of just averaging at the moment. P's get degrees. Absolutely. <laughs> I say that in my therapy room a lot to yeah. young people. It's true. But I thought, you know, I'm just going to apply, see what happens. Um, if I get in, I get in. If I don't, like, I wasn't expecting to, so I don't have any expectations. Um, and then I got an email maybe like a month and a half ago being like, you're in. And so it's not much time to organise it no. at all. It's very stressful. Um But I also, I'm not financially ready for it, but I'm kind of like this is an opportunity that I'm just going to have to make it work. Absolutely. Jump, Um, worry about the financials later. Yeah, worry about everything later. Just like I said, yes, straight off the bat. (laughs) 
this will kind of take us into your story, I guess, at some point. But, you know, is that a, a common theme for you? Are you are you a risk taker? Are you prepared to do things that take you outside of your comfort zone? It really depends um, on where I am at the time. Like, I think the one thing that's always held me back from traveling and doing like a big trip like this is I've always been in a relationship or because of uni, I haven't been able to just go away for six, seven months. And now I'm like by myself for the first time since I was in like year seven. Wow. Yeah. Um, and now I can take uni with me to do something. So it seems like the perfect time to just go and see the world and like find out where I fit into the world and meet new people. So you're doing it alone? Yeah. And is it structured for you when you get there? Do you have, you know, accommodation sorted and yeah. all that kind of stuff? so I'm staying on campus. Okay. Um, so in halls or yeah. college or whatever. They're, they're really helpful with that. They organise pretty much most things for you. Obviously, communication's a bit hard because they're in different time zones. Yeah, but at the moment. Whereabouts in the UK? Uh, so it's Roehampton. So it's just oh, beautiful, down south. Chelsea and Putney. Okay. Yeah. So you've only got a couple of weeks to go. Yeah, about and, a month now. And you're going to head off. I want to understand, can you see how momentous that is? I don't know your story and we're going to find out what your story yeah. is, but I'm presuming there's a big story that sits behind this and yet here you are about to go off in the world. When you say momentous, what do you mean? I mean, it, it's an enormous jump from where you were. You obviously yeah. had mental health struggles, things that you did battle with. Yeah. And people that are sitting in that space, you know, they might have great dreams about what they want to do, but to actually be strong enough, capable enough and, and have enough self-belief yeah. to action it yeah. is something altogether different. Yeah. And, and so you're in that space. Well, I think I've learned a lot about myself this year and what I'm actually capable of doing. And I'm a big believer in like the this stupid quote, but it's like not it, quite stupid. <laughs> but it's like you can anything you put your mind to, like you can do it. And there was um, I, did you see the Ned Brockman stuff that happened this year? Yes. Yeah, I think he like played a big part in my mindset towards the end of the year. Like we are literally capable of absolutely anything and the only thing that holds us back is our mental game i totally agree human yeah. mind in yeah. the most powerful tool we have yeah but most of us don't understand that yeah it's so a three second rule just get up and do it absolutely yeah don't think about it <laughs> just move yeah take us back take us back to your challenges and you know year seven you who had a boyfriend already yeah. by the sounds of it <laughs> blimey that's the northern beaches for you yeah um so in relationship early and then what played out from there so in year seven, I actually went to school in North Sydney. So it was my first time kind of getting out of the beaches and getting out of my little social group. Yeah. Everyone was in Seaforth or North Bagala. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> you didn't really go far to see people. So yeah, obviously it's a big transition um, going from a very small school to a very big school, a private school as well. You don't know where you fit in. And I was having a lot of issues with my identity and like where I wanted to be who I wanted to be friends with. Um, and then obviously the, just the challenges of school. I was never like a great student because I was quite lazy. Okay, um, that's honest. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, when I put my mind to it um, and I actually tried in my assignments and stuff, um, yeah, I was getting good marks. But majority of the time, like I just wasn't putting in the effort because the social aspect of high school seems more important than the academic side when you're younger. Were you just so that I kind of I can picture it in my head, but were you at a single sex school when yeah. you did this transition? Okay, yeah. so you moved to an all girl environment. Yeah. What was that like for you? Well, at the time, it was 
something that I was very familiar with because in my primary school, the boys leave in year five. Um, oh, okay. Yep. So, so you're girl six, heavy by year girls. five and six. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so that wasn't as hard. It was more just meeting girls from different parts of Sydney with like different families, different backgrounds, different like financial statuses and stuff like that. Everyone had a different way of growing up that they would sometimes put on you a little bit. Okay. What do you mean by that? I guess the word would be materialistic. Okay. Um, there's like an expectation of like, you've got to have this, you've got to have that. Otherwise you don't fit in. And same with like social things. Some people had parents that would let them go off to a park and at night on the weekend and like go out drinking, whereas other parents would be like lock them up, like Rapunzel type of thing. Where did you fit in that? Uh, out in the park <laughs> or Rapunzel? <laughs> Mum wasn't too keen on me going out drinking as a 15, 16 year old, which I completely understand. But then as the kid in that scenario, you feel like you're missing out. And all your so friends. Did you do it anyway? I was too scared of my mum. <laughs> I was way too scared of getting in trouble. I need to know what your mum's secret is. Pass it on to other parents. <laughs> She's a Kiwi. That's a oh, secret. Is it? <laughs> She's a Kiwi. <laughs> okay, so she was, you had enough respect and enough fear, probably in equal yeah. quantities, to not want to risk it. So you, no. didn't, so you didn't do it. Uh, look, I snuck out once, but I the furthest I went was up to Seaforth Oval, up the road from my house, and the whole way I was walking, I was turning around like, every car that would go past, oh, my God, Mum is following me. <laughs> She's coming to oh, find me. Gosh. Okay. But, yeah. So you're, you're fairly compliant. You know, you doesn't mean you're happy with it. Yeah. But that you do as you're asked or do, do as you're told as an adolescent, which is, you know, yeah, unusual. Sort of. Yeah. Let's be honest. But yeah. there was this pr- underlying pressure from the kind of the cohort and the environment that you were yeah. being educated in that people are off doing all this stuff. Yeah. Did Pretty it, much, yeah. Did, did that or did you struggle with that? Was there a sense of not fitting in? Yeah, dramatically. Okay, tell me about that. <laughs> um, I guess because when you go to school, everyone's talking about it and you kind of instantly become an outsider because you haven't experienced all these things and you weren't there and you don't get the inside jokes and all that stuff. Um, But I think technology was probably the biggest issue. Oh, tell me more. Yeah. Don't um, get me started. I'm going to try not to speak. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I was that kid in high school that would be like, get off your phones. Like, we're we're in person and everyone would kind of hate me for that. Tell me about that because I, you know, I have to admit, I I got here on public transport today yeah. and I think the thing, and because I work obviously in an office on my own fairly locally, I don't, I don't do that very often, yeah. but what I witnessed was probably 90% of the people on their phones, yeah. not engaged with anybody else, not looking, and, you know, I'll hold my hand up, I was on the ferry, it's a beautiful morning mm. and I am still sitting here struggling to understand why you wouldn't be looking out the window. So tell yeah. me what it's like as an adolescent to be with people who you're trying to connect with yeah. and yet this piece of technology is in the way. Well, my biggest issue is that I couldn't get out of my head that when we're sitting at recess and lunch and they're scrolling through Instagram or Facebook, it's all well and good, but what are you actually missing out on? Everyone's at school. And then going home and the group chat would just be going off message after message. And so I was with you all day and that's what I couldn't wrap my head around and I'd get quite frustrated by it. But if I brought it up, like I wouldn't say I was attacked, but um, I was the bad person, yeah, because obviously – you will die without your phone as a teenager. So you did, like, you were brave <laughs> enough to bring it up. So sticking your head above the parapet is, you know, 
is quite brave in adolescence and going, uh-huh. you know what, I don't agree with this because you can be, you know, rejected. Yeah. <laughs> But push outside that precious circle that you're in. Yeah. So you did it because you're obviously passionate about the fact that people were online rather than staring each other in the face and having a conversation. But yeah. also that relentlessness of you get home at the end of the day, I'm old, so my experience was we could detach. Things were still going on or playing out behind the scenes, but you know what, we weren't we weren't getting 150 notica- notifications between yeah. 4 and 11 p.m., keeping us embroiled in whatever was going on in the day. So I'm keen to understand what it feels like for a young person. Yeah, I don't really fully understand why I was so opinionated about it because I was quite attached to my phone as well. I think in the sense more at home than at school. And then it obviously becomes like a like second nature to check your phone because other people are doing it and it just becomes standard in your head that that's what you're supposed to be doing. But, um, yeah, I'd isolate myself a lot in my room as teenagers do and just be texting my friends, calling my friends. So it was I was always like that around my family, but I never wanted to be like that around my friends. In your head you normalised it, that's what everybody does. Yeah. And so you did it to fit in rather than because you're saying it's not what I wanted to do. Yeah, I guess not really to fit in, but it just became the standard. Like it's kind of what, I don't know, it was just what everyone was doing, so you just do it. Okay. Like if you can't get a conversation out of someone, you just go to your phone and you scroll through what other people are doing, try and make things exciting. So you're not even necessarily having a conversation yourself. You're you're an outsider witnessing other conversations? Witnessing lack of conversations. Okay. I don't know. What's your use of of technology like now? Has it changed? Yeah, definitely. I watch a lot of TV and as I've obviously got a lot more time now to spend with myself, there's a lot of hours in the day. Sometimes it feels like there's not even nearly enough, but other times it feels a bit long. So TV is always a good thing for me to kind of unwind. But one of my goals this year was to watch less TV because I do think that it's very important to actually get outside where you even just like sit outside and just get some sunlight instead of just isolating. And because I'm in a granny flat in our backyard, okay. um, it's not really, as mum always says, it's not designed for long-term living. Well um, done, mum. Yeah, like it, she needs to make it even more uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it can get quite claustrophobic um, just being stuck in there all the time. So, yeah, I'd say I have a pretty healthy relationship with technology now where I know when it's time to like get off my phone, stop watching pointless videos and how to actually use social media in a positive way instead of just aimlessly scrolling. Okay. How do you use it in a positive way? As I got older, I started to unfollow the people that I don't actually care about. Um, We weren't friends in school, so I don't need to know what's happening in your life. I don't need to see where you went out for dinner last night. Like, I actually don't care. <laughs> so was this a beyond high school thing? Yeah. When you left, yeah. it was easier to kind yeah. of delete, block, or whatever you yeah. do. Yeah, because realistically people can't get to you if they don't have you online because you never see them. So I thought that was a good way to separate myself from things that I didn't want in my life anymore. Now that I had a choice, you're not in this high school bubble. You actually get to choose the people that are in your life, the things that you do with it, and social media – is can be quite toxic in that sense that all these things get flooded in whether it's something that's going to influence you or what people are doing can make you upset because you're not doing anything 
Um, and you get to kind of, again, it's a mindset, like you have to be able to do it, but you can filter out like what's not important. I totally agree. So I call yeah. it compare and despair. Yeah. I, I will never be able to make meaning of why people use that piece of technology to aimlessly scroll, to look at stuff where they compare themselves against someone, quite often someone that they don't yeah. know or don't care about and despair over where they're at. I, I find it endlessly fascinating when, as you say, there's a choice around this. Well, I think in a sense where, especially in this generation, we're kind of wired to do it. It's just what we've grown up around. So it just becomes a part of what we do automatically. I, I agree. You, you know, you are digital natives. You don't know yeah. any other world. And, you know, us old people, whilst we get scoffed at, you know, that we don't understand, well, we kind of do because we didn't have it. So we know what the alternative looks like. And you know what? That wasn't a perfect model either. Yeah. But I would argue there was way more respite from this relentless need to wear a mask or be accepted and not be judged in adolescence. Yeah. I think it's a much harder job to be an adolescent today than it's ever been before. A hundred percent. Like I saw it in my younger sister, her year group, it was dramatically different to my year group. She's only three years younger than me. But okay, in what way? They were a lot more attached to social media than mine was. I think it's getting worse the generations coming up, it's it is getting worse. What as a you know, as, as an older person, I've got lots of views around it, but as a young person who's been in the thick of it, what do you think needs to change? What do you think is the answer? I actually don't have an answer for that because okay. I think it's up to people individually and how they see time and what's actually worth their time. But I don't think you fully understand that till you actually leave school because totally it's agree. a bubble. Yeah. Like you can't understand the world and the things in it until you're actually in it. So, yeah, I don't really have Yes, a 12-year-old is not going to sit there and have that rational conversation yeah. with themselves, I don't think. No. But that's a good point that you make is that you're making these really healthy choices now from a really what sounds like a really stable and, and healthy mindset. Yeah. But it's not always been that way. No. I guess. Yeah. Given you're sitting here with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so take us back to a time where, where it wasn't so healthy, where it started and, and the battles that you had? So it kind of um, started in year seven when okay. I couldn't find where I fit in. Oh, yeah, I was having a lot of issues with myself and my identity and who I was, what my purpose was. Um, so I saw the school counsellor for the first time, didn't know anything about mental health. Um, they talk about it, but they don't really talk about it enough. You mean you, the counsellor didn't know much about mental health? No, like you? I didn't know much okay. about it. Okay. Okay. Um, but, yeah, schools, they, when you're in the younger years, I don't think they have as many resources as to when you get a bit older as to how you can get help. Okay, so you think the message, you know, I want to pick up on that point because it's really interesting for anyone who's listening because, I'm, you know, I'm sure young people will listen to this, is that you're saying that, that the resources and, the, and th the clarity around messages for mental health need to start way earlier. Yeah. Okay, what do you think? Year six, year seven? I think year seven. Okay. I think year sevens and year eight are the prime targets for actually talking about mental health and getting that in their head that it's like it's okay to not be okay and it's okay to like talk to someone about it and it's not just something that's in your head because you have no idea what it, what it is. No. You just start feeling like flat one day and then you just second guess it. What was a sign or a signal for you to reach out and get help? Because you obviously did it quite early on. Yeah. Well, I How did you know? started feeling flat like one day and then it just, it wasn't 
stopping. It was day after day after day. And I couldn't figure out like why there was nothing bad happening in my life. Like school was a little bit stressful, but it wasn't overwhelming to the point that I'd be depressed. And then the counselor diagnosed me with depression and anxiety. Um, Is that a shock? Uh, it was because I didn't really fully know what it is. And then you do the good old internet search and Oh, not just a Google. Yeah, you self-diagnose and you're like, wow. Anyone well, who's listening, I'm. please go and speak to a professional and do not Google. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, that was stupid. Okay, so you went home and Googled, gave yourself a fright. Yeah, I was trying to learn about what it was, but then obviously there's more symptoms behind the word depression than what you actually have because it's tailored differently. It sits on a spectrum. Yeah, everyone's different. They have their own experience. Um, But, yeah, then in – Did school tell mum and dad or did they leave that up to you? um, It wasn't bad enough. Like it wasn't – I wasn't about to hurt myself or someone else that they had to – it was fully privileged. Okay, so at that confident, point. kept yeah. able to be kept confidential. Yeah, they made that very clear to me. I remember having that conversation like, "This is fully confidential, unless blah blah blah." Um, so nothing's going to be told to your parents. Um, that was a big thing for me. Okay, it was a relief. Yeah. In in what way? That's I think that's a really important thing to kind of note is that it was important to you. I think, you know, to be able to continue on in that process, you had to know that it was a space just for you. Yeah. So the the clarity around that yeah. was important. And I think um, it's good for, for young people to know that therapy, you know, is fundamentally, it's a it's a safe space yeah. that's held by the therapist. And, of course, unless they're worried for your well-being, yeah. um, that they can hold that for you, yeah. which is, you know, it's very powerful to be able to talk yeah. about anything. Well, for a lot of kids as well, their parents, especially at that age, their parents play like a big role in their mental health. And obviously my parents didn't fully know what mental health was. Um, Mum grew up in a very different family where that just wasn't even a thing. So it was hard for me to talk about how I was feeling when her reaction was so unpredictable. Okay. Um, And when I didn't know how dad was going to react or how my sister or just anyone around me, um, because it's pretty easy to freeze up if someone just comes to you and says, like, I need help. Like, it's, I don't, it's really you even, scary. Yeah, how do you respond parent. to that? <laughs> yeah, to go, you know, I, I wasn't aware. And, and parents, you know, and I, I say this as a parent as well as a yeah. therapist, but parents then judge themselves yeah. and are terrified that they've missed something. Yeah. I totally get that, you know, you're going, I, I'm actually vulnerable and somewhat fragile. And to then put it out there and not know what you're going to get from yeah. the people that you really need to know will support you, yeah. it's a risk. It is a risk. So they didn't know? Um, they didn't know until it got really bad in about, I think it was year nine or year ten. Okay, so you did battle for a couple of years and you were yeah. and you were just seeking out the school counsellor at the time? Uh, yeah, I did end up seeing a psychologist. I think they did know. It was a long time ago. I think they did know a bit earlier on because um, I did see quite a few psychologists. Some externals, okay. Yeah, and I was put on antidepressants. Tell me about, because the key word in there for me is I'm going, I saw a few. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not here to demonise anybody, but I think it's really important. In fact, I think it's fundamental to therapy that you find the right fit. Yeah. Was that the case for you, that you had to yeah. find the right fit? I never found the right fit. Okay. Um, it's probably a controversial thing to say. No, but. not no. You know what? Your lived experience is your lived yeah. experience and, you know, that's yeah. what you found. Can I ask why they weren't the right fit? Um, I felt like a majority of them weren't actually helping me. They were more asking me how I can help myself and I didn't know. That's why I was there. 
So when they would say, so I understand this is how you feel, what can we do when you're feeling like that? I'm like, I don't know. That's, again, that's why I'm talking to you. And I found that really frustrating. And then meeting new one after new one, I'd have to retell my entire story from the beginning. And it was just, it was more draining than it was helping me. I'm an adolescent therapist. So I'm kind of relieved. You've vindicated me because I'm quite directive in my therapy with young people because Mm -hmm. I have that view that, sure, I think we all do have the answers within ourselves, but with young people, when you're deeply struggling with mood and or anxiety, whatever it is you're challenged by, that you're right, you're not there to spend time tapping into yourself necessarily, certainly in the early stages, and if you're at risk on any level. You need help and you need guidance and you need someone to tell you what to do. Yeah. That's a really important thing for other people to hear is that finding somebody who will be directive for people like you, and it's not for everyone, other people do want a softer approach and find their own way, but that there's a need for some therapists to be able to, to actually work like that Yeah, so that you can find your fit. So you didn't find your fit? No, but I, I do have a psychiatrist now that I, I love him. Like he's, he's the best because he talks to me about how my life's going and he says that I'm going to be the um, the case or one of his patients that actually like succeeds in life and he's ready for my success story. So he's backed me since I was in year 12. Amazing. Yeah. So you did find your fit, actually. Yeah. It just happened to be with a yeah. psychiatrist. It's not talk therapy. It's more just about my like maintaining my medication and how my body's reacting to that. But he does have like a chat with me where I don't feel like I need to have a 40-minute session with a psychologist. I can just see him well, now every couple months. And that's that's enough. Yeah, that's enough for me. When did the medication come onto the table for you? And, you know, yeah. who who said this might be a good idea and has it been and everyone's got a different tale to tell on this one? So I was on antidepressants um, from maybe year 9 through to year 12. There were times when I stopped taking them because obviously it's quite hard to uptake medication every day. What happened when you stopped? Did you notice it? Um, yeah, a little bit. What happened? Uh, my mood would just go flat again. Did you notice first or did other people bring it to your attention? Uh, I noticed it. Okay. Um, I, I feel like I was pretty decent at hiding it. Not one of my best traits. but No. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure, I get it's a strength, but yeah. yeah it's not a strength, helpful. but a weakness. But yeah, I don't know. Antidepressants never really did it for me. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't feel that great when I was on them. Um, there were periods when it would actually make me feel worse. And I've trialed and errored a few different ones, and they were all kind of the same. And then in year 12, I was put on – I started taking sleeping tablets because um, I had really bad insomnia from year 7 onwards. Um, wow. Yeah, we kind of pinpointed that that balance of sleep, diet, and exercise. So important. Sleep was about 90% of why my mood was the way it was. And it wasn't just like going to bed super late, staying up on my phone, and like not being able to sleep. It was me waking up at every hour of the just night. Good quality sleep. Yeah, and then waking up super early. Was there ever a causation found for that? Or no. no. Okay. I tried every everything under the sun, meditations, reading, like different types of therapy, nothing worked. So we just went to tablets and then I'm still on them. I've been taking them every day for the past like two years. Does it help? Uh, yeah. So they get you off to sleep and keep you asleep. Yeah. And so, you know, sleep being the goal, let's take the medication out of the mix. The fact is you've got to have them to be able to get that. Yeah. Having the good sleep, how does that then work for you? Because that's the aim. 
I just, I can function the next day. And when I can function, I can think straight. And when I don't sleep, I eat badly because I'm lazy, I'm tired. Um, I don't exercise because I just want to rest. Um, my social life just goes down and I'm not myself. So, yeah, sleep is like a dramatic part in my mental health. Like it's what keeps me alive and functioning. I hope if there are young people listening to this. Yeah. I, I bang this drum all the time, but as an old person, I don't get heard. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm absolutely with you. It is sleep, exercise and diet. They're yeah. the three things that sit within our control. And you know what? There's no point taking the tablet or seeing somebody if you're not prepared to at least have the willingness to invest in those three things that you can do for yourself. Yeah. And and sleep probably the most powerful of all three. Yeah. Because if you don't have enough, what was it, torture in war times for a reason. So, mm. you know, we know that it's profound. So sleep is something you don't have to battle now, but you do need to take the medication to, yeah, well, to the, have it. The thing with the one I'm on, um, Seracle, is that it's it's addicting in the sense that your body, you can't just go off it. Like I've I've tried. I ran out a couple of weeks ago. What happened? Um, I didn't get to sleep until about three thirty in the morning. Then I slept for maybe an hour and a half, and then I was up. I just, I couldn't go back to sleep. But then I slept really well the next night. <laughs> <laughs> when you took your cervical, or yeah, you when, I, when, when I got my emergency supply. <laughs> but um, yeah, no. Um, Doctor Hannon said to me that it's. Yeah, it's not something you can just go off or like wean yourself off. Um, you need to taper and it needs to be under medical supervision. Yeah, or yeah. you have to switch to another medication. Like I'm so far deep <laughs> that in, in it. That's there's that's the only way that I'm gonna get off it. Okay. So does it does it worry you? And that's just a general question. I you know, yeah. I'm I'm, a, I'm actually a big supporter of meds. I think, you know, for some people they're incredibly effective and I've seen a life changing yeah circumstances that really can only be put down to that. So, you know, I'm certainly not sitting on the fence with it, but, you know, it it does bother you? It does. I I don't want to be on it for the rest of my life. Um, I don't want to be reliant on a drug for such a natural thing that I should be able to just do. But we've kind of spoken about the fact that I'm still at school. It's not a good time for me to try and experiment with getting off it um, or switching to another one. I've got like a year and a half left of my degree and when I'm out of uni and when I have a better schedule, that's when I can When you've got more tra- routine and structure yeah. in your life. When I have the like the time and ability to actually have a couple nights where I don't sleep, that's when I'm You're prepared to, to, try to try it. it. Yeah. Okay. Nice. So there's a yeah. little bit of a plan around yeah. that. For you, there's this understanding that sleep incredibly important and has a profound effect on mood for you and mm-hmm. that's your bottom line so the depression mm-hmm. you came out the other side of it i think it's always going to be a part of me but i think i have it a lot more under control now in the sense that i know how i can help myself when i start to feel that way and i start to see the little signs okay yeah so do you kick into action pretty much yeah it's mainly like i'm not on meds anymore i stopped taking them a while ago actually but it's more like when I start to sense that my mood's getting flat or I'm like going away from social activities or speaking to people when I'm isolating myself, that I have a list on my phone of things that I can do and it's a bunch of like random different things. Brilliant. What's on your list? I love um, those lists. One of them, it's there's like small things like just make your bed, um, have a shower, brush your teeth. Even just doing one of those things, I feel like can help me massively. It's a win. Yeah. 
there's something about having a shower, like the difference you feel <laughs> yeah. afterwards. Cooking a meal when we're in lockdown, I really got into cooking, but now right. I just don't have the energy or the time to do it. <laughs> Nothing better than a frozen meal now. <laughs> oh, stop it. Get back to your list. <laughs> um, I've got into reading this year. Okay, fabulous. Yeah, I've never, ever been a reader, like ever. Wow, so how did you get into it at this age? There's hope for one of my kids I'm thinking yeah. of. Is about your age? He's never picked up anything but a car magazine. Um, how did it happen? Um, my friend, she's a big reader. She told me to find something that I enjoy. Um, so I read a book um, about mental health um, and then I started reading more. And then I read like maybe eight books this year, and my goal was two. <laughs> really? Are they? I'm curious now. Are they, were they all around mental health? Or yeah. Really? Yeah. What would you say is the one that stuck out the most for you? Um. Again, my memory is not great. Um. I think her name was Sophie Hardcastle. Right. Um. I think she was a Northern Beaches girl as well. Um. Hers was kind of a story, but it's based around her childhood. Um, and I thought, like, being someone that – I think she lived in Freshie. Okay. So being someone that was around the same area, someone that was my age at that time, that kind of resonated There's with me. There's a connection. Yeah. What was Sophie's story? Uh, I can't. Can't remember? I can tell you at the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> but it was something that, that obviously stuck with you. Yeah. She, um, she was a surfer. Okay. So everything – was about how she felt in the ocean um, and how that was her safe space and that was where she could kind of – she couldn't control things but she felt like she had a sense of control because – She knew what she was doing yeah, when she was in there. She, yeah, she knew the environment. Okay, great story for anyone who might be listening. Yeah. Obviously, go and look at Sophie's book. Yeah. I, I love that you have a list on your phone Yeah. because I think one of the big challenges when we're not feeling great and or if we're feeling big emotions – to be honest, is that in that moment, the ability of our prefrontal cortex mm-hmm. to think clearly about, you know, two-step, right, I'm not feeling good, what do I need to do for myself? It's really hard to do it. Yeah, exactly. But to have a list and just go, the only thing I have to think is, I'm not doing so great right now, I just need to go to the list. Yeah, just pick one. Absolutely. And pick one and just do it. Yeah. Was was that given to you as advice or did you read that somewhere? Um, I think I read it somewhere online. I've watched a bunch of videos great um, on youtube and yeah because that that was the reason why like you can't when you're feeling down you cannot think of a single thing that's going to make you feel better Correct. so i made a list when i was feeling good one day um and now my goal is to just pick one thing on that list if i am starting to see any sort of sign okay yeah you just go straight to it and, yep. and your thing is there and it doesn't matter what it is and it helps yeah is mood dep- and depression are they the main challenges that you've had or is there anything else that sits with it? Yeah, so my mood would fluctuate in a very bipolar way. So it would um, be a couple of days I'd be flat, then my mood would go up and I'd be extremely happy and hyper. And I still get that sometimes where one day I'll just be like erratic and I'll just be very, very hyper and my friends would tell me to calm down. Did you do crazy things, spend lots of money? No. Oh, no. I don't have the could. money to spend. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you would have. Yeah. That, that could be dangerous. Yeah. Okay, so your friends would flag it for you. They would experience yeah. you differently. Did you recognise that you were in that space? Or? Oh, 100%. Oh, okay. Like I get it at work now. I don't have my down days when I'm at work, but I do go a bit crazy and I know that it is just a part of 
the way my brain is wired and it's not actually because I've had like a coffee or because something, a stimulant has like triggered it. It's just because it's who I am and some people love me for it. Some people think I'm annoying as hell. Does it bother you? No. Good. No. How I do you like, manage it? Does it? Do you like being in that, that hypo state? Sometimes. I, I play soccer, so soccer brings out a lot of adrenaline inside of me um, for hours after I play as well. Um, so my mood goes up and I get a bit crazy and I get a bit hyper and I can't bring myself back down. Um, that's when it annoys me. Okay. Because I'm like, okay, now it's time to chill out and I can't. And you can't. Yeah. And that's where my sleeping tablet comes into play. <laughs> But, yeah, other times I love it because I feel like I'm a very vibrant person and I feel like people see a side to me where I'm energetic and I'm happy and I want to go out and I want to do something and I compare it back to when I couldn't get out of bed and when I was feeling extremely down. I'm like, I like this version of me yeah. a lot better and so it's just who I am. So you're really happy when she comes to visit? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> she might stay too long occasionally, yeah. but actually it's, good. it's really nice. But I also like the way that you – that you kind of tell the story around it is it's this is me this yeah. is these are the parts of who I'm because we're all lots of parts yeah and you sound you know it can irritate you but you also sound quite accepting it doesn't you're not putting a label on it mm-hmm. you're not hopefully not googling because I know what the google will tell yeah. you all right none of it will be great but actually you're going I manage this really quite well yeah it can be frustrating but it's all right yeah, well, I think a lot of people see mental health as something that's like dragging them down um, and it's something that they want to put past and they don't want to look back at it. Um, it's who they are and it's not a good thing. And then I take it and I'm like, I don't think anything is who we are. Um, I think everything's a part of our journey um, and that sounds really cheesy when I say it out loud. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it, it doesn't at all. But um, it is just a small chapter in this very, very long story that we have. And, I mean, I've taken everything that I've had, every single negative experience, and I'm now studying psychology. Like, it's crazy to me to look back and think that all these things that I thought were going to take me out of this world have made me who I am and I'm such a better person because of it. That's a really interesting point you just made, that the things that I thought would take me out of this world, and yeah. I, you know what, I, I deal with that pretty frequently. Yeah. And it's one of the, the hardest parts to sit with is that beautiful young people have their struggles that at, at times I think they really do believe the struggle is going to take them out of this world. Yeah. Did you ever kind of sit in that space? Yeah, I had a, um, a few suicide attempts that... Oh, I don't know. I think it took more out of my family than it did out of me, um, which was the hardest part. Okay. You obviously got help? Yeah. Um, that's how I met my psychiatrist. Okay. Yeah. And have you been, since you've done the work and you've understood yourself, mm-hmm. you know, obviously much better than you did previously, and, and, and I think you're right, the lack of social emotional understanding because we don't really get educated about it. And even then I would say we get a surface education about it, but, you know, 14, 15, it might start in some schools, not every school. To have the experience of not wanting to be in the world anymore and then come through that, is there a strength that sits in you now? Because that's a battle. That's a really big battle. Yeah. Um, I think that... Every small day-to-day struggle that I have now, everything's compared back to when I was at my lowest. So nothing seems big anymore. Um, Even the big stuff doesn't seem big because I think that if I can take myself by myself out of such a bad place, 
where my mental game is taking over my entire body, then I can do anything. <laughs> and I think a lot of people struggle to see that um, in themselves and they don't see that there is a positive thing that's going to come out of something so negative because they can't even see the end of it. Yeah. Um, Were you able to see the end of it at the no. time or not? No, not at all. How did you keep going? Um, my family. How yeah. did they help you to um, keep going? Because that's a really important message when uh -huh. you don't feel you can keep going yourself. What do they do that helps you do that? Sorry. <laughs> it's, like, it's like happy tears. Please, please don't <laughs> apologise, all right? Tears in my world are a really good thing. <laughs> um, I think they were just there for me. They just made me feel just loved. How did they do that in the same way you wanted a therapist to tell you what to do? There will be parents listening that want to be told what works. Uh, I think that's very different. I, I agree. But for you, what worked for you that your parents did that made you feel loved? Yeah, mainly just listening really. Most of the time I didn't want advice. Nothing that people would say was going to be able to help me feel better. It was more just acknowledging how I felt and reminding me that it's like, it's okay. It's normal to have bad days and that it, I wasn't crazy. I wasn't erratic and I, like I, there is something special inside of me and there are happy moments that I need to reflect back on and see that this is just a bad day. Um, and I feel like my parents over the years got um, significantly better at being able to tackle that and being able to help me in that sense because um, at the start it was a bit rocky. But now like compared to when I was in year eight and compared to now, I'd say my parents are like my biggest supporters. Um, and they know how to help me and what works for me. You've done a big old journey together. Yeah. And, and you have to work it. You know, that's what I say. There is there is no quick fix. Yeah. And there is no golden bullet that works for everybody. It, yeah. it is walking that path together. And yeah. I think what you described beautifully was, and actually I'll generalise that out because I, I hear that story a lot from young people, is that I don't want people to fix it. I don't want them to give me answers. I just want them to listen. Yeah. And I don't need them to join me in it. I just want them to sit with me in the darkness. Yeah. And I think if parents and support people can understand that, that that's actually all it takes, and I say all with inverted commas around it because that's actually quite difficult in some circumstances, but they just need to be there. Actually, they don't really need to provide much else. Mm. Just be present and validate. Yeah. Beautiful story <laughs> with, a, with, a, with a very happy ending. You know, I'm sitting here opposite a young lady who's about to head off to the other side of the world yeah. and continue her psych studies. It's incredible. Yeah. Something I always ask everybody is, you know, with the benefit of hindsight and knowing what you know now about you, mm -hmm. about mental health, what would you tell 14-year-old Zoe that might help her? Oh, I was actually writing a letter to my future self the other day. I should have done that when I was younger. Oh, down there. what a great idea. Yeah, I saw that and I was like, that would be cool if I look at yeah. that five years later. <laughs> I would probably say to just just keep your head up and focus on what makes you happy and not other people because I feel like I, growing up, my main goal would be putting others before myself and that was never a good thing. Um, because I did it too much. And I think sometimes you do need to be selfish in the sense that 
you can't help other people if you can't help yourself. It was a good distraction, but you do need to actually take 10 minutes out of your day to just focus on you. And there is a happy ending to this sad, sad story. <laughs> yeah, well, well, there is. I think, you you know, what you just described then was that you, you're a people pleaser to some extent yeah. and you lost yourself in yeah. that. And actually, I don't call it being selfish. That's a word that crops up a lot. Yeah. I, I call it responsibility to self, yeah. that I need to be responsible for my own well-being. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that has to be prioritised over the needs of others. Yep. I think that is a really powerful message. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. That's you know, it's, there's a lot of vulnerability that sits in that and it's a real privilege to sit opposite you and, and hear it and, and share it um, <laughs> in the flesh with you. And all the best for London the exciting future that you've got and and obviously when you end up in the psych world what a wonderful therapist you will be yeah all right all that academic knowledge but the best part will be the lived experience that you'll be able to sit with people and truly understand yeah thank you i appreciate that so best of luck with it all thank you (laughs) thank you for listening to mind rewind Subscribe for free for future episodes. And if you're interested in sharing your own journey, please contact us at beanstalkconsulting.com.au. If you or someone you know needs crisis support, please phone Lifeline on 13 11 14.